0: That's the call of the American Flamingo. Flamingos are distinctive pick birds. You know what they look like, right? they got the long neck, the long legs. They are typically found in warm places like, you know, your Floridas. But a couple weeks back, a small flock of five flamingos arrived at Lake Michigan Beach in Port Washington, marking the first time flamingos have been spotted in the wild in Wisconsin. The colorful birds attracted a crowd of visitors. Flamingo mania made national headlines. Even if you missed that big event, there's still a lot of fun birding to do in Wisconsin during the fall month. Our next guest is an avid birder who wants to make the hobby enjoyable and accessible for everybody. And you could join in at 800-642-1234. Were you there for the Pink Flamingos in Port Washington? Have you had other great sightings, uh, maybe more common ones than flamingos, that you want to share with us over the last couple of few weeks? Join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. You can also post on the Ideas Network Facebook page. Jeff Gallagher is co-founder of the BIPOC Birding Club of Wisconsin and a member of the Badgerland Bird Alliance's Board of Directors. Jeff, thanks a lot for joining us today.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Do I have this right? You were able, with some quick transportation, to see the flamingos in Wisconsin?
1: I was, yes, even after missing them initially in Port Washington.
0: Uh, to talk us through. It sounded like it was quite the, a little bit of a chase for you.
1: Yeah, I was uh, I was on my way to Dora County for the weekend when uh, when they initially showed up in Port Washington, so was unable to go see them, and... And then I had to go down to Miami, Florida, for a seminar for work, a one-day seminar. And then, as I'm getting ready to come back on home on the plane, I see this alert that, that five <laughs> flamingos have been seen at, at Petenwell Lake, um, up in Central Wisconsin. So I just determined that I was going to get home, get my kayak on my uh my vehicle, and get up there to see them. And I and I did just that.
0: Uh, Jeff, I got to say, you you were in Miami. A place I where I would expect to see flamingos, and you're hurrying to Wisconsin to see the flamingos. That's pretty awesome.
1: That was pretty awesome and, and just just a bit surreal, especially when I finally, you know, was able to kayak out there because they were about 300 yards off the shore, so kayak was the best way to get anywhere near them.
0: All right, now let's talk about fall migration. Now, we're generally not going to sure. see uh, flamingos. I know there's different theories, uh, including <laughs> hurricanes, about why they ended up here. What are some of the things you're most excited to see that, you know, we kind of expect to see in Wisconsin in the fall?
1: Well, I'm you know, the, the month of September is huge for passerines like warblers and, and things like that. As we get into October, it starts to slow down a little bit on that front. But we have things like uh, uh, ruby and golden crown kinglets coming through. Sparrows are oftentimes um, later in October migrants. Um, and then we get into the birds that move down here from farther north, and uh, birds like waterfowl and cranes that will move through even December or later.
0: What uh, What are some of your favorite sites this time of year, As favorite places to go to catch some of our either uh, pass-through uh, birds or the ones that are coming down to, to winter here?
1: Well, I like going to uh, Barney Lake for Nelson Sparrows. That, that usually happens about this time every year uh, where they come down and they they hang out at that that place and they're fun to go look at i also just like going anywhere where there's uh water like lakeshore preserve um daniel park in in um mcfarland or lake farm park olin Turville, places where i can get my scope out and see what's coming on the lakes because we get, we do get some rare uh, ducks and waterfowl that we wouldn't necessarily expect to see but there's always a handful of neat things coming through every year
0: one of my favorite uh, birds to see in the state uh, this time of year is the Sandhill Crane. I've, I've seen a handful uh, already this season. How long do we expect to see them sticking around?
1: Well, they stage and, and migrate all the way into um, December mm-hmm. or later, depending on if the water's, uh, you know, where the freezing is at. Last year, we had an event at Aldo Leopold Foundation where we were in blinds on the Wisconsin River watching cranes come in and stage at night at sunset. We saw like 15,000 of them. Wow. And that was, yeah, that was on, on November 30th. So they hang around, they're around, they're around as long as there's a, you know, a source for food and it's not too cold.
0: Jeff Galligan is with us, co-founder of the BIPOC Birding Club of Wisconsin, member of the Badgerland Bird Alliance's board of directors. He's filling us in on how we can get outside this fall and enjoy bird watching adventures around Wisconsin, whether you're an avid birder yourself or more in my uh, department, a curious beginner, you could join in at 800-642-1234. Do you have a bird report for us from a local bit of nature, maybe even your own backyard? Is there a hidden gem spot where you like to go see unique birds? What is your favorite season for birding? Do you have any favorite places to visit in the fall? Join in at 800 642 one two three four. that's 800-642-1234, or post on the Ideas Network Facebook page. We'll check out some birds that'll stick around through the winter. That's coming up on Central Time. The Northern Cardinal there on Central Time. I'm Rob Ferrett. We're talking to Jeff Galligan, co-founder of the BIPOC Birding Club of Wisconsin, about making birding accessible for all, and how you can enjoy the birds of Wisconsin in your own neighborhood and beyond this time of year. You can join in at 800-642-1234. Let's bring in a caller. Lindsay is with us in Milwaukee. Lindsay, hi.
2: Hey, how you doing?
0: Good. What have you seen or heard? So the
2: last couple nights I've heard what I thought was like an Australian kookaburra (laughs) bird. Uh, So I downloaded a bird call app and recorded what, I was hearing, and it turned out it was an eastern screech owl. Scre- and I haven't I haven't seen him yet, but I've heard him almost nightly for going on two weeks now.
0: Thank you for sharing that with us, Lindsay. Nice. Can you talk about our, our owls, Jeff?
2: Yeah, well,
1: that's a good thing to hear. They, they'll stick around. Um, we'll hear owls throughout the uh, uh, fall and winter, and they actually are our first uh, breeder. So they're beginning to get ready to the mating thing going on and, and some of the duetting that we'll hear over the winter. So, yeah, they're exciting. They, that's really one of the best time, best things about winter, in my opinion.
0: Lindsay, thanks a lot for sharing that with us. Uh, I played that uh, cardinal sound. What are some of the other uh, resident birds, uh, Jeff, that will give us a splash of color throughout the, the winter months?
1: Well, you know, we have crows that hang around. The blue jays hang around, chickadees, uh, white-breasted nut hatches, red-breasted nut hatches downy and hairy woodpeckers red bellied woodpeckers so there's quite a few birds that, that stick it out with us now it can be fun to go see
0: i've had conversations with uh, actually the author of a book on birds who basically said hey celebrate the the boring birds not just the really exciting ones do you appreciate uh see you know blue jays and crows we see them all the time but i've, I've tried to get a newfound appreciation for them how about you
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I try to not be disappointed when I'm thinking I'm going to see something maybe a little less common and see something common to (laughs) reduce the disappointment because they're beautiful and and fun to watch as well. Absolutely.
0: And I understand you have your eyes on, you know, not just this season, but like today and the next couple of days. What are some of the birds uh, really making their way through the state at this moment?
1: Well, I'll tell you, the the birdcast forecast for tonight is 506 million birds, tomorrow 663 million, and then it tapers a bit with 401 million uh, on October 7th. But we're seeing uh, warblers such as Common Yellowthroats, American Redstarts, Tennessee, Nashville, and Chestnut-sided warblers are going through. Uh, The Golden and Rubicon Kinglets are picking up right now. Uh, some of the thrushes are going through yet, so there's a lot of stuff still moving through. But we're beginning to tape off in the in the songbird category, and we'll soon switch to the waterfowl.
0: I'm always happy to see raptors, and I think most of them aren't don't migrate or that far anyway. A lot of them stick around in the winter, right? What kind of uh, raptors are you watching for now?
1: Well, the red tail hawks will stay here all year round, as will sharp-shinned and Cooper's hawks. But we will get things down like the snowy owl will come come down from uh, northern Canada, as will the uh, rough-legged hawk. Um, They come down, which is fun. I love that about winter is that we are actually a migration destination for birds like that, as well as, like, snow buntings and um, pine siskins and things like that.
0: Yeah, the snowy owls, every now and then we have, they call it an uh, eruption, not eruption exactly, but sometimes we might see a couple few in the state, and then sometimes they all want Wisconsin for some reason. How is that at all predictable?
1: I, You know, not that I can tell. I think <laughs> I think I think, you know, when you just begin looking at like a projects, a snowy yeah, or a snowstorm, I think it's called where they really might uh, track the migration patterns. And you can see pretty quickly when we have an eruption year because they really come through in big numbers and spread out throughout the Midwest.
0: Now We've checked a lot in, of fun. We've checked in with the BIPOC Birding Club of Wisconsin uh, over the years, I think uh, three years ish old now. Uh, can you tell us uh, the latest for the group?
1: Uh, We are going strong. We have monthly events. We're actually going to be at Lake Farm this uh, weekend, looking at hopefully some of those 401 million birds coming through. (laughs) Uh, We always have some special events coming up. I'm going to be doing a speaking engagement at the International Crane Festival. Um, We also have an event with them coming up. Going to do something with the Mead Wildlife um, area this next summer. So we've got stuff going on all the time.
3: And
1: And Everyone's welcome to jump.
3: Yeah, and
0: that that welcoming message I wanted to ask about, I think uh, with the BIPOC Birding Club, you're making the case that if you don't think people look at you as a birder, if you don't feel welcome in the community, still get out and give it a try. Can you share some of that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think... the 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 research saying how important it is to be outside for our own mental health physical health well-being and birdsong is proven to be something that that increases uh well-being and the outdoors is for everybody and if even if you have no experience doesn't mean that it's not for you and we can help you kind of integrate into that and begin to explore that whole scenario because there's a lot of things to do birding and otherwise in wisconsin and and we want to be a part of getting people out trying that as for themselves as families Uh, We love anybody that wants to come bird and don't need binoculars. We've got those for you. Uh, We'll have scopes, don't have to know anything, there's no pressure. Uh, Just come and have a good time with our community.
0: And Jeff, do you have thoughts? Uh, Our caller mentioned uh, one of those bird call apps. My wife uh, always has that ready to rock. Uh, Are you a fan of uh, some of the technology that's out there now that we can carry around with us?
1: Oh, absolutely. Merlin's great. And personally, I I, uh, have a hearing uh, disability, so I don't hear very well, and it helps me to know that things are in the area or that things may be in the area that I'm not hearing. And then I could start keeping a lookout for them. And if you don't know bird song, that'll be a good way to start being like, Oh, that call is this bird. And then you pretty soon you'll, after repetition, you'll get used to it. Yes. I I definitely recommend that.
0: And Jeff, as we wrap up, is there a bird that's kind of on your uh, your to-do list or your wish list to spot here in Wisconsin?
1: Oh boy. That's a, that's a, Yes, I actually would like to see the um, Bohemian Waxwing. That's one I have not seen yet, that that will winter in, like, Door County in northern Wisconsin. I haven't got it yet, so I'm hoping to get that one day.
0: All right, hopefully, hopefully this time around. Jeff, thanks a lot for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been wonderful.
0: That's Jeff Galligan, co-founder of the BIPOC Birding Club of Wisconsin, a member of the Badgerland Bird Alliance's board of directors, we checked in on how we can all make the most of the autumn birding season here in Wisconsin. It's Central Time. I'm Rob Barrett. Now, social media. You are online. You get overwhelmed, scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. You see an ad. You usually wouldn't click on the ad, but you do. And you buy the thing, and then the next day, you think, why did I do that? Well, our, new, our next guest has some research that might have an answer for you. And you could join in at 800-642-1234 if you have a personal experience along those lines to share. That's 800-642-1234. Matthew Pittman is an assistant professor of advertising and public relations at the University of Tennessee. He's co-author of new research on why social media can make us more prone to impulse purchases. Matthew, welcome to Central Time. Hey, thanks for having me. Let's start with a concept before we get to your research and, and social media, this idea of cognitive overload. What is that?
3: So human beings, even though we use computers, our brains are not computers. We have a (laughs) finite or limited processing capability and certain things like social media, because there's so many different uh, forms of media. There's text and video, and there's a post from our high school friend, and there's something from our spouse, and there's a post from the rock about a workout routine. All these things use up little bits of processing power, leaving us depleted the more we use it.
0: I have a, for example, when I first started hosting an afternoon talk show, it was a little stressful. I was cramming a lot of information in my brain. And I remember a couple of times going to a restaurant after the show, meeting my family, picking up a menu and just not having the processing power, just handed it. My wife knows what I like. She ordered for me. Is that cognitive overload?
3: Yeah, that would be, that sounds <laughs> like emotional overload too. And I wish you the best, but certainly <laughs> well, I'm good now. that would be some, some kind of a uh, cognitive overload too especially if you went right from work to do any other task. We're not very good at task switching or, or multitasking. Um, so, yeah, that would certainly qualify.
0: Okay, now let's go to your research. You're looking at social media. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the experiments you set up and what you were hoping to find out. So
3: we used food as an item for all three studies because presumably everybody has to eat, and we're all at least a little bit interested <laughs> Uh, study one, we used like one of those meal subscription kit, green chef type things. Study two, we used ice cream and study three, we used coffee and we would, uh, there was one condition that was a control condition where we didn't do anything. We just let people look at the ad and actually use their mental capabilities to decide, do I want this or not? And then another condition we would have them memorize like a nine digit number, which is how psychology studies have done this in the past. And then the third condition, which is what we wanted to prove, we had them use Instagram for 30 seconds. And having them use Instagram, their own Instagram, for only 30 seconds left them more mentally depleted than memorizing a number and way more than the control condition. And then once they were in that depleted state, they were more likely to be influenced by or susceptible to popularity metrics like a high number of likes or a high number of comments.
0: Okay, so the alarming thing to me there is 30 seconds Like, I know even I'm not a huge social media guy, but 30 seconds, I I could do that easy. That small amount of time made a noticeable difference.
3: Yeah, that's a walk down the hall. That's a that's a walk to check the mail. Uh, But it makes sense because in that 30 seconds compared to, you know, television or, or a movie or other media, 30 seconds on social media, you can see a post from like five brands, 10 different people, some of whom, you know, in real life, some you don't. So our our brain is like a Rolodex. We're constantly shifting through how to evaluate. Do I know that person? Oh, yeah, they're cool. Do I know this person? Ah, they're kind of weird. Do I know that person? Well, they're a liar, so I can't trust that (laughs) post. And all all the shifting depletes our resources.
0: Now, another angle here is you also played with the number of people or the number of fictional likes on the ads you were showing people. Did that, I guess, uh, social media peer pressure have an effect on the decisions people made?
3: Yeah, so that's important to note. I don't think that using social media or cognitive overload can create a a desire in us for a product out of nowhere, but kind of like alcohol can reduce our inhibitions. I think in the depleted state, if there's something we already had our eye on, like a nice glass tumbler from WPR, (laughs) then maybe we are, and normally we'd say, well, I don't need that. I can't afford it. But if we're just a little depleted, then that voice on our shoulder goes away and, you know, and we just kind of think, you know what? Uh, other people liked it. and This one has 10,000 likes or 100,000 likes. Maybe it is good enough. All right, I'll, I'll go ahead and buy it.
0: We're talking to Matthew Pittman, assistant professor of advertising and public relations at the University of Tennessee. Looking at his research on social media and impulse purchases, turns out just a little bit of time scrolling on a social media feed may make us a little more vulnerable to online advertising or that product that an influencer suggests we go out and buy, you can join in if you'd like at 800-642-1234. If you have a question for a guest about his research or an experience to share, eight hundred six four two one two three four. Matthew, I want to talk about what we can do with your research. What is your advice for social media users out there to, I guess, uh, buyer beware?
3: So one thing that I have done because I first wanted to study this because I am a victim of this too. I purchased on TikTok, I saw a thing that was, uh, you can get a Lego replica of you and your significant other. And I thought my (laughs) wife would love two little Lego pieces of us with our names on it. And it came and she said, what is this? And I was like, oh no, what have I done? But my kids love it. So it's not a total loss. But one thing I've started doing uh, since researching and thinking about this is Um, I put things in a shopping cart and then let it sit for a day or two. And then I come back and check. And with a clear head, I'll think, do I really want this or need this? And 90% of the time, the answer is no.
0: Interesting. A cool down period. I like that. Now, another use, and I know another of your research areas is ethics. Uh, I could see an advertiser (laughs) look at your research and say, aha, yes, we're going to use this, but I'm guessing they probably already know this, Matthew.
3: Yeah. I'm sure the algorithm knows to target people like, Sports fans, before the big game comes up, target them then when their minds are all frantic and frenzy, thinking about, yeah, yeah, you should buy this championship t-shirt.
0: Yeah, I should definitely do it. We're going to win. And uh, do you have thoughts on how we can, uh, I guess, recognize when we're feeling that cognitive overload, whether it's because of social media or we just started hosting a radio show or whatever the case might be?
3: Yeah, aside from therapy, which would be helpful <laughs> uh, for all of us, I think just checking sometimes... I try to spend a couple, like whether it's walking down the hall or again, checking the mail. Sometimes I just don't bring my phone, which seems kind of novel now just to let my brain reset and be bored for a second. Sometimes it's um, before I fire up an app to use Instagram or TikTok, I'll just check my make sure my goals align with my motivations. Ask myself like, all right, what am I expecting to do? Okay, I'm going to do this for two minutes. Hopefully I'll see something funny. I'll see a cute animal and then I can log off. Um, so kind of being more deliberate and intentional about our use before we start going. Cause once we start going, we can scroll ourselves right down a very dangerous and strange rabbit hole.
0: I wanted to ask you about different platforms and maybe some future research. You focused on Instagram here. Are there other uh, social media platforms you'd want to tackle in future research?
3: Yeah, I think the more media rich or the more involved, like, um, presumably the more it would tax all of your brain power because now you're evaluating text and, and an animated gif and there's a talking head video and there's some tiktok videos that i follow and if you it could basically give someone a seizure it's like a reddit thread story read as text over top of a of a weird video game in the background so it's like for the super duper ADD um media like that i think is really taxing compared to like Twitter, which is a little more tame, Um, certainly emails, Reddit, the ones that are most primarily text-based, I think those don't use as many mental processing resources as the ones that are like every single media all at once.
0: Let's bring on a caller. Anastasia is with us in Stevens Point. Anastasia, hi. Hi, how's it going? Good. Uh, What did you want to tell us about?
2: So I actually work for a Gen Z and millennial market research company, and we talk about this all the time. And granted, we're generally talking to brands about how they can reach Gen Z and millennials, but the data overwhelmingly shows that when they're looking at ads and actually following through and purchasing, it's always on social media. It's the most, like more so than any other traditional advertising source. And. That's why brands have to be on social media if they want to reach those generations. But in terms of impulsive social media buys, um, you know, when these Gen Z and millennials, which we consider 13 to 39, when they're seeing hundreds of pieces of content, thousands of pieces of content every single day, um you know overall it just kind of wears down your resistance to making that purchase Mm -hmm. you see it over and over and over you know the way that advertisers used to try and attract people by you know catching them to and from their job on billboards that they might see now they're able to reach teens like every second of every day on social media and so that distance from initially seeing the product to actually making the purchase is so much shorter. Anastasia,
0: and I, I want to ask you, uh, doing this kind of research for your day job, does it make you think about social media use differently?
2: Absolutely. You know, we also ask them how they feel about being on social media, and it's pretty mixed across the board, but they understand that it's an addictive platform, and it's, they're making impulse decisions there because social media is naturally impulsive and encourages that impulse.
0: Anastasia, thank you so much. Interesting perspective. Matthew, what do you think about what we heard from her?
3: That was really cool. And it makes sense. The, if you think back in the day, you would see whatever, a uh, infomercial on TV you had to call or, or even go to going to a website requires more effort and intentionality, more time. And now the time between you have an impulse and the, and the, and you get that, you know, item has <laughs> your order has been placed notification. Could be as, I think it's like two or three clicks on some things. Like you click on the item, boom, you know, ship. If it already has your credit card info and your shipping address, just a few clicks. Um, it's crazy to think how the time between impulse and purchase has been reduced to mere seconds.
0: Anastasia, thanks a lot for sharing that. And Matthew, it also makes me think, uh, you know, you, uh, when you were testing people, you had them. Uh, recite that nine digit number or spend 30 mm-hmm. seconds on Instagram and then look at the ad once. As Anastasia mentioned, we might see the same ad on social media, you know, 50 times over the course of 20 minutes or something like that if you keep scrolling down. Uh, is that something mm-hmm. else you'd want to study in the future that the frequency and intensity of seeing the same ad message.
3: Yeah, that's a really good point. The more we've all seen, I'm sure posts where you see, again, you see the ad the 20th time. You're like, oh, this is very <laughs> familiar. And our brains are wired to like things that are familiar. And I'm sure when we see it for the 20th, 30th, 40th time, we maybe we don't even know, is this an ad or is this somebody I follow? Do I know them? Do they like me? Do I like them? And all of that would be, yeah, certainly make us more likely to, uh, to purchase. So that, yeah, the next logical study would be repeated exposure. And I'm sure it would be significant. So the question will be how many... How many extra views does it take to uh, to move the needle?
0: Well, Matthew, we'll leave it there. Thanks again for sharing your research with us.
3: Thanks for having me. It's a really cool topic.
0: That's Matthew Pittman, Assistant Professor of Advertising and Public Relations at the University of Tennessee. We listened back to our talk with him about his research on social media and why it can make us more likely to make impulse purchases.